last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. Do you realize how good Daryl Henderson could have been on the Kansas City Chiefs? It would have been bananas, bananas, bananas. But instead, Daryl Henderson slipped on a banana peel in day two. And I traded up to get Miles Sanders. <laughs> and the Broncos are notoriously bad at the act of selecting good players in the draft. They literally just went down the street and drafted a guy that they saw. And Ashton Doolin goes undrafted. Perfect. Stanley Morgan Jr. Undrafted. Yeah, Stanley Morgan and Ashton Doolin go undrafted. That is just rich. And no one running any NFL front office participates in any Debbie League. And if a running back is your best player available and you have Todd Gurley, you go ahead and don't draft that player and you go to literally any other position. It's like one of those Old West standoffs where both guys turn around and shoot and they both kill each other. And in the history of wide receivers, Matt Waldman has never seen a more talented player than fourth rounder Hakeem Butler. And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things. What? Me? And this morning... I was working at my computer. My wife came up to me and she said, you really have to stop farting at these events. <laughs> <laughs> but she was dead serious. Like I started laughing. I looked up at her and she was stone faced. And uh, Bezos. Ah, that's all right. He'll fix her up. What's wrong with you? And okay. That time you definitely said dick. But the problem is it's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, God, when it's just this monster. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, I, f I feel let down. Oh, yeah? I feel deflated. Let me guess. You watched the longest night episode, the latest from Game of Thrones, or as I like to call it, Game of Drones. Am I right? Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. It was uh, I, I was anticipating the greatest episode I was ever going to see. I had no more hype ever built for anything than this episode. They set the table for two straight weeks. It was week three. The White Walkers were staring at Winterfell. The, the All the heroes were at Winterfell staring back at the White Walkers about a mile in the distance. And we knew it was going to be a war. And uh, they... they went on to just completely shit the bed with the episode. How do you spell White Walker? Is it W-H-I-T-E, Walker, or is it W-I-G-H-T? Because I've seen it spelled both ways. 
I've spelled it W-I-G-H-T. So it's not white like the color. It's white as in this made up word W-I-G-H-T. So white W-I-G-H-T is for like the, the reanimated corpses and the white walk. So there's like the decomposed bodies. And I think the white walkers are like the the more fully formed. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So the white walkers are the men that were created by the children of the forest in their struggle against the first men, whereas the whites, W-I-G-H-T, are the dead soldiers that are risen yes. by the white walkers. It's very confusing. You see how that's very confusing, right? It's not the only confusing thing about this show, but it's very confusing. What did you find most offensive about the most recent episode? <laughs> oh, God. Where, where do you even be? First off, every sense was offended. Where do we start? I have a nice plasma TV. Matt, do you know what plasma TVs are known for specifically? Great contrast for clarity with dark scenes. That's right. They've got rich darks. It, it, the whole episode was borderline impossible to see. And it wasn't just the fact that it was so dark. The editing was so fast sometimes amidst battle. I had no idea what I was staring at. None whatsoever. And that's just the first thing that offended me. There was never any context. You could never tell how big the army that the White Walkers had amassed was. And that was an unrealistically large army, right? Like how many dead wildlings and trolls and far northern fiefdoms, how many of these whites could you possibly amass? It, it didn't matter. This episode was completely untethered from any sense of reality. And I know that the immediate response is, well, this isn't reality. This is fantasy. Well, yes, understanding that this is a world of supernatural forces and magical powers, that baseline is set. Even understanding that baseline, it was just absurdity after absurdity. The mechanics of a cataclysmic battle of that nature, certain rules of military tactics, of physics, have to be adhered to. Right? You can't just send infinite numbers of zombies at a castle. There has to be some contextual limiter on the size and scope of the battle. But when they're zooming in and they're just rapid fire sending zombies across the trench and up the wall, you lose all context. And they never did us the service of allowing us to zoom out and seeing the full battlefield. They did a few times, but it was just a canvas of black. They might as well have started rolling the credits. They never showed you the precise scope of the battle because that would have revealed the fraud of the entire episode. They revealed how fraudulent the episode was right off the bat. So <clears throat> Melisandre shows up the worst character in the show. She's right up there. She's she's done some good things for the show, but she's a horrible character in the show. She lights the the Dothraki swords, right? The swords are lit up. And we've heard uh, you know seasons before that these Dothraki riders are like the the best fighters. Oh yeah. They're invincible on the battlefield, Nate. Right. Invincible. And what happens? Immediately they charge. Why? Why? They are in a defensive posture. In no Yeah military manual would you ever charge with your cavalry from a defensive position into the center formation of an attacking opponent an opponent that has you outmanned and outmatched everyone understands that that this is a 
a suicide defense. And in that context, they decide to charge. <laughs> I mean, what? Whose call was that? Was that on Jorah? It was absurd. The show is so bad, Nate. So bad. When I say the show offends the sensibilities, that's what I mean. I've seen Gettysburg. I've read Sun Tzu. I understand the basics of military tactics. And I found that episode offensive. Well, and the thing is, the White Walkers don't do anything. They haven't done anything yet to, to, to make them charge. But nonetheless, they charge. Well, that's something else. You notice that they have so many cool White Walker lieutenants. We have the Snow King and his lieutenants. It's not just him. It's also these five or six other guys that have a similar look and build to him, but they have these beards and they, they look very cool, incredibly menacing. They are the ZZ top <laughs> of the world of the supernatural military personnel. They are the ZZ top. Well, the air is cold. Have you got the time? And to get yourself in. We're really bad bodyguards. And they are asked to do exactly nothing. Nothing. They just stand there. They just stand there the entire time. And then as the Night King or the Snow King, we're a fucking useless king, is walking slowly toward the castle they just follow him you know just acolytes just oh we'll we'll just hold your robe sir they've done nothing this entire time the zombies do all the work and i stopped respecting this show when it became the walking dead when i realized that this was just going to be another zombie show that's when i checked out mentally here was here was my issue to finish this point so the riders rush up to the white walkers they all die in about 10 seconds. Remember, this is the Dothraki. This is the most feared land-based armada in Westeros. Yeah. They're riding horses. Like 15,000 of them are dead in like 10 seconds. But Nate, don't you understand? The White Walkers have infinite whites. They have infinite numbers of zombies. You can't beat infinite zombies. No matter how you do the math, they are the best trained soldiers oh. in this world that George R.R. R. Martin created. And it doesn't matter. It's infinite zombies. You can never beat infinite zombies. So wait a minute. What you're saying is that the only way that the heroes could survive is by killing like, a, I don't know, like a, like a thousand whites each. Yeah. But then don't forget, whenever a soldier dies on the human side, don't forget, he also gets resurrected as a white very quickly. That also offended the senses that there would be no delay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The human soldier dies and then right away he's resurrected and he becomes... A monster. What? It's impossible to beat that army. Not only are there infinite numbers of them already, but then it's infinite plus all your dead guys. It's infinity plus all your dead guys. This show is just so stupid. Riddle me this. Riddle me this. Did the Night King have to kill Bran himself? Because if he didn't, here's what I do if I'm the Night King. If my if my ability to raise the dead is like Wi-Fi and I got to be a little closer to make it work, if I'm too far away, it doesn't work. He has lieutenants, Nate. If he is the Achilles heel, he himself, of the entire operation, he needs to stay as far away as possible. His lieutenants need to go kill Bran. That's what I'm saying. The whole place is engulfed in zombies. It's over. 
put that guy in the fucking Pope mobile and let him stand in the background and then let him just let the whites. And every time the whites are getting low, he just whoa, raises his hand and they come back to life and they just keep doing that. And so there's no humans left. But the problem is that you're using logic. Oh, oh. And this is where those of us with brains that think critically and use logic, we find this show maddening because the suspension of disbelief that it requires at this point in the series is just a bridge way too far. It's only a third of the way across the chasm that these showrunners are asking us to span. It's not fair. It's just not fair. So many are caught in the sunk cost fallacy in that you've already invested so many hours of your life. So many hours. Watching this show. You just need it to be over. You need to finish the job of watching the show. It's not even enjoyable anymore. You're just trying to get to the end. I just want my life back. That's why you can't judge the quality of this season because so many are just hanging on to get it over with. We're such a captive audience. And yet there are so many new fans that genuinely think that the last episode was great. You know there are millions of fans applauding that episode on social media, Nate. Just drones. Brainless drones. It it was terrible. I mean, two minutes into the battle, I watched Brienne gets sucked to the ground and gets her face eaten by 20 whites. Somehow she comes out of it. There's no way all the primary characters survive. It's not possible. possible. It's just not possible that a battle of that scale where the army of the north was on the verge of victory, a complete victory, Mm -hmm. with the exception of all the characters for which anyone in the audience has a significant emotionally vested interest in. We're going to make sure all of those characters survive because the creators of the show have this emotional attachment to these characters and they refuse to let them go. So they will reverse engineer absurd scenarios that allow these characters to survive. And this is just one of many of the gears that turn with this show on a weekly basis to get this thing to the absurd levels that it has reached. Game of Thrones is so offensive to anyone with a working brain that every day I wake up infuriated that it's even available to watch on HBO Now or HBO Go. Human beings shouldn't be allowed to watch this because it just makes everyone that experiences it dumber. When the show started and we were introduced to it, we we really became accustomed to sort of the fragility of people's mortality. People were dying left and right. People that were important, you know, they were being executed. Primary character, Sean Bean's character, dies in season one. Yes, all the time. Remember, season one revolved around Sean Bean's character, and season one ended with Sean Bean's character getting killed. I, I mean, the Red Wedding, all these things that... You weren't necessarily expecting these these slaughters, all these people dying. And we've gotten to this part of the show now where they're trying to save all these characters and it's become so unrealistic. And now the the people that are so blind and so ignorant and don't want to admit that the show's gotten bad, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, they've got dragons and zombies. You can't believe that somebody would survive a battle that lasted Hours and hours and hours, and they were swinging a 80-pound sword. You got Brienne has been swinging a sword for like four straight hours. Have you ever tried to cut a cord of wood? <laughs> no lactic acid whatsoever. I tried to cut a cord of wood. I'm gassed. 
after I do like four logs. Okay, there's no way I'm just hacking away after I've been bitten on the neck and thrown to the ground. I'm up against a wall. There's just no way. Okay, so first off, we need to get some Gatorade out there. She's working off adrenaline, baby. Uh, that's, yeah, it's apparently through the night, the longest night. What they should have done. This is what they should have done to redeem it. They screwed up. When Arya had the CTE moment, she hit her head on the side of those on the side of that rock wall. She should have died right there. They should have let her get eaten alive. Or at the very least, she dies as she's stabbing the Night King. Sure. She has to die at the very least. She survives too? That ending was go- how did all those guys? I mean, this illustrates your point that the that the elders that are with the Night King do nothing they're supposed to be his bodyguards and they let this girl just sneak up and jump from the side of the screen and kill him no way man he's got these bodyguards admit this to me would the ending not have been better if the night king pulled his sword out slowly as he looked at bran and it cut to the night king and he raised his sword to swing it down and all of a sudden you hear the sound of a blade go into something and he makes this face like he's shocked and he looks down and it pans out to Bran with the knife in his belly. And suddenly Bran pulls the mask off his face and it's Arya. Why didn't they do that? That would have been way better. Use her ability. It's coming. It's coming in one of these episodes. Holy shit, Nate. Why didn't they do that? That ending might have saved it. It would have been great. That ending would have been great. Did you come up with that on your own or did you find that on Reddit? No, I didn't. That's one thing I thought of on my own. But I go on Reddit a lot. I was trying to think of alternate endings to that episode that would have improved it because anything would have been better. <laughs> so it's a very low bar, but the bar you just set is incredibly high. I can't do better than that. I have Brand shocking the world by standing up and stabbing him in the heart. I just couldn't figure out if it would have worked because, you know, Bran has the marks on his arm and maybe the Night King would have known it's not him. I don't know. The point is... They could have done better than they did. And uh, first off, when Melisandre says to her, what do we say to to death or to the dead? And she goes, not today. Why would that have triggered her? How would Melisandre know to say that? I just, I have so many questions. And then Arya runs away. This is the problem, Nate. It's not just that the story is ridiculous and there's no attention to detail with any aspect of it from military tactics to physics, it's untethered from any dynamics that we experience in the normal world. It's not just the story. It's also the dialogue, the character development. It's vapid nonsense. It's just how do we advance the story? That is the trap that so many filmmakers and showrunners fall into, was eventually they just start developing dialogue to advance the story instead of developing dialogue to further develop the characters. The dialogue should reveal character depth. That hasn't happened in this show for many seasons. Instead, all the dialogue is reverse engineered just to advance the show. And the show is wildly successful. So why the hurry to get it over with in eight seasons? If this show went 10 seasons with great writing, that would have fixed it. But instead... All they're doing is we want her to fly in from the side of the screen to kill the Night King. How do we get her to that place? Oh, well, let's have her roll under a, a table and then slide into another room and then have Melisandre say this to her. They're developing a show in a linear fashion instead of a three-dimensional fashion. And that's why you've noticed that it completely lacks any depth now. You feel it. There's no depth to the show. It is completely shallow. And they haven't kept track of 
the characters that were developed back when the show was good. Because back when the show was good, Melisandre was a bad guy. So how is it possible that Melisandre is now one of the top two heroes in the episode? Melisandre and Arya Stark have the most impact on this episode. How is it possible that she's a hero? She's the one that's lighting the trench. She's the one that's lighting the swords of the Dothraki. (laughs) I don't know, man. How did we get here? This is the woman that bet everything on Stannis Baratheon. She thought he was the second coming of the Lord of Light. She went all in on Stannis Baratheon. That was the worst play to hand in the history of television. That Stannis Baratheon is the second coming of the Lord of Light. And that's the coldest take since Matt Waldman said Hakeem Butler (laughs) is the best wide receiver he's ever charted. Melisandre is the Matt Waldman of Game of Thrones. And now she's a pivotal hero in one of the most pivotal episodes. Get the fuck out of here. Can I ask you a very important question? A moment of silence. We lost uh, the great Theon Greyjoy in this episode. Oh, yes. Very important character. So many were emotionally invested in Theon Greyjoy. At Theon Greyjoy's next stop, whether it be heaven or hell, is uh, is he getting his penis back? I'm sure there's still a hole. Yes, Nate. I think there is a hole. We should do a general knowledge check on you. Every show, we should do a general knowledge check. Do you know what that hole is called, Nate? Is that the uh, urethra? <laughs> there it is. Oh, See? Oh. See? Look at that. Oh, God. See, Sonic Truth audience, this is an intelligent man. He does not play one on this show. Nope. But this is an intelligent man. I insist (laughs) that everyone knows Nate Liss is an intelligent man. This is Uh, a character he plays. The mindless ogre of fantasy football is just a character that he plays. He's actually quite intelligent. He knew urethra. uh, I am a man, so don't give me too much credit. He's a man with a penis and a brain. That's right. That's right. Still working on using it. It was a terrible episode overall, though. It was horrible. Uh, The criticism on Twitter is, well, you don't watch the show. You don't watch the show. Shut up. You don't watch the show. Of course I watch the show. I have to watch the fucking show to know how bad it is and appreciate how right I was. Of course I'm watching the show. As the show gets worse... I get happier because I'm more and more right. This is one of the signature told you so moments in the history of this show. Of course, I'm watching the show so I can see how so many of you mindless Game of Drones fans must be suffering. And if you are not suffering these episodes, then you've had a television lobotomy. (laughs) Okay, question. Scale of one to ten, one being the absolute lowest. How useless was Jon Snow in this episode? A bag of Theon Greyjoy penises. (laughs) Jon Snow was a bag of Theon Greyjoy penises. That's how useful he was. (laughs) And Daenerys Targaryen as well. Neither one of them did a goddamn thing. I I don't know how they... How did they manage to run into each other? The, uh, The only two of three dragons in the sky. Do you think that the makers of this show think that was good? The episode? Do you think they think it was a good episode or are they somewhere elbowing each other going (laughs) got away with one there (laughs) check out Twitter. These morons love it. 
I think it's a little of both, you know, because there's people out there that'll, that'll kind of chew up and spit out things from Star Wars, you know, that don't make sense scientifically or whatever, the sound in space or how things travel. On this show, though, we're, we're scrutinizing things that are factual because, again, the, the, we've been led to believe that this show is going to lay out and play a certain way. And they have totally done a 180 here in the past. I don't know how many seasons I'm recognizing it most right now, but they're just playing it up. These heroes should not have survived. The only person they took was Jorah. That was the biggest take that they had. I mean, Theon Greyjoy, whatever. But Nate, it was only one night. The biggest battle in the history of Westeros occurred in six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. At a time where major battles were always multi-day events. This one took six hours. I, I don't know what to say. This is this is horrible. So they got their castle back, sure. How are they going to get rid of all those bodies? That's a mathematical conundrum. How do you dispose of an infinite number of zombie corpses? I don't know how to do it. You have nobody to do the work. We need to get the Winterfell Analytics Department on that. <laughs> I think it's going to take some time. I mean, that the episode, you know, Jon Snow's bobbing and weaving, the dragon's And the flame dragons, not the ice dragon, the flame dragons are going back and forth, back and forth across the battlefield and having no impact on these zombies. They're just burning an infinite number of zombies. But when you kill an infinite number of zombies with dragon flames and you are met by an infinite wave of additional zombies, it's a zero-sum game. The name of that episode should not have been The Longest Night. It should have been Zero-Sum Game. (laughs) Actually, not Zero-Sum Game. Zero-Sum Lame. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, there's the word of play. It's just so bad. Jon Snow, absolutely useless. All of the heroes, none of them killed anybody of consequence either. They were just killing... The Night King's lieutenants were not soldiers or characters of consequence. Here's one. Here's a question for you. So uh, back to the beginning. They ride off. They go d- directly at the White Walkers. Buzzsaw. They kill everybody. How does Jorah not get hit? Right. He comes riding back with this look on his face like he's just seen hell for the first time personally. How does he survive it? And Brienne survived as well. And Ghost, the uh, the uh, dire wolf came back as well, I think. I'm pretty sure the the wolf came back, too. I don't even know. Can I just tell you? I don't care. I don't care. Maybe. I don't care who survived. I don't care who died. I don't care about this show. I'm not invested in any way in this show any longer. I am just here to see how obscenely right I was when more than a year ago, I claimed that this show had jumped the shark in an extreme way, that it wasn't like a a short skip over the water, that the shark was fully up out of the water and airborne. That's how dramatically this show had jumped the shark and simply had become bad. And I've been alone on social media insisting that this is so. But even I, in my wildest imagination, could not have imagined that the show would have devolved into this level of hackery this quickly, this season. I mean, it's exceeding all of my expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Is the only way this show is going to redeem itself for you is if Cersei wins it all? No, this show is irredeemable because it became unwatchable two seasons ago. That's the least predictable thing that can happen now is the bad guys win. At the end, I'd be like, huh, that was the only thing I did not see coming because they've evil has lost at every turn. They've made the heroes survive everything. There's been surprise naked shots all along the way. We got to see Daenerys naked through the flames. We get to see Melisandre's incredible rack. Uh, uh, uh. 
<laughs> we get to see Cersei walking naked through the streets. Most recently, we saw Arya. We need one more pleasantly surprising naked shot. I think I know. I got it. You ready for this? Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> we can get Gilly? Have we ever seen Sansa? No. Whoa. Whoa. If we're laying in the cards out on the table, the money naked shot we're missing is Sansa. Let's be honest. She's become an alpha female. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I don't know if we're going to get there. I'm pretty sure I'm not forgetting this. I'm pretty sure I would remember that. She's not had very many good relationships since this uh, show has commenced. She's been, <laughs> been through a couple doozies. All of our emotional energy was directed at this Game of Thrones breakdown, which was the best Game of Thrones breakdown in the podcasting world. You're not going to find a, a more accurate breakdown of, of Game of Thrones on any podcast. Even Game of Thrones-centric podcasts won't give you the straight talk like we just gave people the straight talk. Mm. And it would be enough to just end the episode here. We have delivered hard-hitting analysis after hard-hitting analysis, you know, incredibly deep dives into players, prepared members of this audience to destroy their fantasy drafts, just kill it. And it's exciting. Dynasty League rookie drafts are starting. We've already analyzed the players that matter and we will be talking about all the players that don't matter in the weeks ahead we'll be talking about ashton doolin we'll be talking about reggie white we'll be talking about darren hall and davino zigbo it's going to happen we're not going anywhere but a game of thrones show needed to happen but the show is only possible because members of this audience are supporting us in myriad ways whether it be going to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, supporting the show there, joining the conversation. I'm sure there will be Game of Thrones related topics in the forums this week. Or you can go download the Dynasty Dominator app. And I would be remiss if I didn't cover frequently asked questions with the app. And the most frequent question is, why is it that when I add a 2019 draft pick that... 10 points are subtracted from my opponent's deal score. That doesn't make sense. When I add a 2020 pick, it's just currency. And that's because a 2019 pick is not just currency. It requires a roster spot. So our trade analyzer values free roster space in a way that no other trade analyzer has done before. And that's the level of sophistication. And that enhancement is what distinguishes our trade analyzer. So on the other side of that equation, when you acquire a 2019 pick, 10 points is deducted from your side of the deal score because we put a 10-point value on that empty roster spot. That's how that works. But it's also why you're incentivized to trade 2019 picks and acquire 2020 picks because 2020 picks do not require a carrying cost. They do not require a roster spot. They're pure currency. If you're in a rookie draft and you actually have to turn the card over and draft an actual player, you have to drop a player in order to pick up a player in the draft. When you acquire a 2020 pick, you don't have to do that. I just finished my first Dynasty rookie draft, and I only drafted two players in five rounds. Miles Sanders in round one and Dexter Williams in round three because I value empty roster space, and I'm always trying to pick up 2020 picks whenever possible. Because we know that 2020 projects to be a more talented draft class. And you hear this all the time. Well, such a cliche that next year's draft class 
is more talented than this year's draft class. We hear that every year, and then every year it gets debunked. Well, no, actually, the 2019 draft class is objectively bad when compared to other years, and based on just the running backs that we expect to be available in that 2020 class, the 2020 class projects to be one of the most talent-rich classes of all time. This is not cliche dynasty speak. This analysis is derived from analyzing the talent profiles of the players available this year and next. This year was thought to be this exceptional wide receiver class, and based on what we saw in the NFL draft, this wide receiver class is not what it was sold to be. Once things finally shook out, and the NFL draft really, really kind of validated what some of our thoughts were going into the draft, but once the NFL draft ended, and you saw guys like Hakeem Butler that were projected as the first wide receiver off the board by many people go in the fourth round. And Andy Isabella. Who? Who projected him to be number one? Do you remember any names, any particular analysts that had him as their number one ranked prospect, perhaps of all time? Just off the top of my head, just spitballing a name. First one that comes to me, Matt Waldman. (laughs) I don't know why I find that name so funny now. It's a good name. The name in and of itself has become a punchline based on this ridiculous Hakeem Butler analysis. So his number one receiver goes in the fourth round. Fine. (laughs) Oh, God. Brutal. Andy Isabella to the same team goes in the second round. Now, that's a guy that people saw going a lot later. I mean, we were kind of on board with the the late second, third round selection. That seemed fair for a guy that, that had his size, but his athleticism coming from the conference he came from. But there's been a lot, there's been, just been a lot of proof has been sort of set forward that, that people's processes are still are still in need of a lot of work because there were people that said Paris Campbell was going to go round six, round seven. Uh-oh. And we watched the NFL fade the wide receiver position, and you're totally right. The upcoming draft class, running backs and receivers, I know it seems cliche, it feels like people say it all the time, but comparatively versus this class, it, it, it will be better. It will be a lot better compared to 2014. I don't know. We always go back to that and compare it to it. 14 was was a year that'll stand on its own forever. I mean, that was one of the greatest classes, if not the greatest class we'll ever see. But 2020 is going to be a great class. And that's one that I'm really looking forward to. I love 2020 picks because they are currency that does not require a carrying cost on your roster. And they hold great value because... They're only a year away from their redemption, and that class projects to be talent-rich. There are a few more frequently asked questions that I believe are instructive, just generally speaking, not just with the Dynasty Dominator app, but our lifetime values are generated by the Roto Underworld team. Those lifetime values are not derived from some ADP. That's the number that we have assigned to every player. And that number also assumes that you are in win-now mode. So it puts a premium on near-term production. So if you are in the throes of a complete rebuild and you will be tanking this year, you cannot take every deal score in the trade analyzer on face value. If you're rebuilding and you have Julio Jones, you're incentivized to trade Julio Jones. So even if the trade analyzer has you losing the trade, tactically, it may be a trade you need to do. However, that's not how I roll. I am always in win-now mode, and I always force my opponents to overpay. When I look at the trade analyzer, I need to be winning that trade by at least 10 points in order to push the button. 
always force your opponents to overpay if they express interest. I never express interest in any player. I wait until my league mates express interest, and then we work out a deal where they overpay for the player they expressed interest in. Because if they are the first mover, they are revealing critical information in the deal-making process. Even if a deal is fair, even if a deal is down the middle on the trade analyzer, I will often decline it. I always decline the first offer. Even if I'm winning, according to the trade analyzer, I will decline and counter. Decline and counter. Always decline the first option and ask for a little bit more because clearly that league mate who is an opponent wants one of your players. So you should always see how far they're willing to go, how much they're willing to pay for that asset. That's how you win in Dynasty. How you don't win is telling me players are off limits. That is the worst. The worst. Nothing is more infuriating than the league mate that claims a player is off limits. No player is off limits. If I propose a deal and you don't like that deal, just counter! You always counter! You don't just reject and don't counter. and Say, oh, well, that player you want, he's not attainable. What do you mean he's not attainable? I'm the pot father. I have valuable assets at every position and nine out of ten of my teams are stacked. I have desirable players on my roster. All you need to do is ask. To just reject a proposal and then not counter is irrational and it is maddening. I take names. I have a notepad where I write down names of those that reject and do not counter or claim that players are off limits, and I will never trade with those people ever again. I will never engage in trade talks ever again because those people are fools. Unless they offer me something where I'm crushing them in the trade analyzer, then I'll accept. (laughs) (laughs) And don't think you can just add a fourth rounder to satiate me. Looking at the numbers, fourth rounders are essentially worthless. Fifth rounders, essentially worthless. We went back and ran the numbers back through five-plus years of Dynasty rookie drafts, and we found time and time again that there was almost no value added over replacement in the fourth and fifth rounds of Dynasty rookie drafts. Mm. What do you think of that? It helps put some clarity to things. I, You know, I don't really like drafting outside the second and third round anyways. Um, in a lot of draft classes, I haven't been hyper-interested in the second round because I just feel like hits still take a while to mine out of there. Um But if you're a person that's active, you love draft picks because these guys, they pop, they flash, somebody gets hurt, they get an opportunity, suddenly trade value. Most of the time, I'm using those picks to trade into the first round, trade for a player, or trade for 2020 picks. Looking to compile two or three players to upgrade significantly at a particular position, more often than not running back. But that's the beauty of the trade analyzer. It is it does not allow you to sandbag deals. I built the app with the goal of helping everyone beat me. So many other trade evaluation tools were skewed toward the quantity side of deals. The way we value roster space, it properly evaluates the quantity for quality deals that so often get thrown around and so often rejected. Now, the Dynasty Dominator app is only 5 bucks in the App Store on Google Play. And just the app, a $5 app, is not enough. 
Most people need real personalized advice to help them win a championship. Some of you have been in the same dynasty league for three, four, five years and have not won, and it's getting really frustrating. It can really help to have a second voice in the room, a silent co-owner to be your sounding board. And very soon on the app, you will see that it is brought to you by fantasyfootballking.com. And the man behind this service is a fellow minion. He's been listening to the show for years. He's one of the early adopters of Player Profiler, and he launched this service. He's in Connecticut right down the street. He launched this service. And one of the reasons I believe in him is because not only is he competitive as hell and dedicated to helping you win, Player Profiler writers work for Fantasy Football King. So there is a real alignment of strategy and player evaluation methodology. And the beauty is they guarantee what they do. If you don't make the playoffs, you get your money back. Think about that. So go to fantasyfootballking.com now and let them know you heard about them from me, from Matt Kelly, the podfather, and they'll give you a free 10-minute consultation about an upcoming draft, about your existing team, anything. So do it. Fantasyfootballking.com. Let them know the podfather sent you. Now, in this recent draft, I did select Dexter Williams and... I believe that Dexter Williams is the most undervalued player in Dynasty Rookie Drafts right now. I think he should be a second rounder. And I saw some running backs get drafted in the mid-third round that were not starters. And at that point, I knew Dexter Williams is about to go. Any pick now, someone's going to select Dexter Williams. And I was able to package a couple fourth rounders to get into the third round and get Dexter Williams. And I couldn't be happier. Look at these measurables. He's in the 80th percentile in both burst and agility, and he has above average speed for a running back with feature back size. He was a dominant producer at Notre Dame with an efficient yards per carry. But because he didn't play a full season, only nine games, he did not have the counting stats that get you drafted in rounds three and four. He slipped to round six, but he went to the right team. He went to a team that has no draft capital invested in their running backs. That's where you wanted Dexter Williams to go. He went to the perfect landing spot, and that's why he was my number one target in the third round. Do you agree? Um, It kind of depends on who falls there, but for every reason you just laid out, yeah, this is absolutely somebody that people should be looking at. Um, Obviously, a show like this is going to start to drive his ADP up, so for those of you that are looking to get him, too bad, I guess. The price just went up. But yeah, for sure. I think you and I have talked about this before. We both agree that we think Aaron Jones is very good. Aaron Jones is good, but Aaron Jones has missed games due to suspension and injury the last couple seasons. And he was a fifth round pick. I'm just a realist about Aaron Jones. I'm fantasy wanting Aaron Jones to be an all pro running back. But there is significant risk that the Green Bay Packers drafted Dexter Williams to deploy next to Aaron Jones to share the touches, perhaps evenly with Aaron Jones and to marginalize Jamal Williams because Dexter Williams is better than Jamal Williams in every way. Right. He was more productive on a per game basis, more efficient, more athletic. There's nothing that Jamal Williams does better than Dexter Williams. Here's the concern with, with both of these guys, assuming Aaron Jones stays healthy, assuming Dexter Williams stays healthy. Um, even if one guy takes the lead and one guy sticks around, they're both going to eat away at at somebody's opportunity. And unless somebody's going to emerge as the Ty Montgomery type role. Or one of them gets injured. Right. That Well, of course. How many running backs get injured every year? 
I mean, obviously, it's a volatile position. So many dynasty leaguers have injury amnesia. They forget that most running backs miss games with injury every season. And the moment Dexter Williams gets this opportunity, this is a guy that finally, given an opportunity as a senior, shredded almost every team he played. Look at his game log from 2018. Go to College Football Reference. Find me a better, more impressive game log than Dexter Williams in 2018. I will, I actually, I will. Florida State, 200 yards. Navy, 140 yards. Virginia Tech, 175 yards. Stanford, 161 yards. He's scoring touchdowns. He's catching passes. When you look at Dexter Williams on a per-game basis, he's one of the most impressive running backs in this class. Dexter Williams is going to be a lot later than the other guy that I'm going to name. But if we're betting on the chance that there's an injury that's going to vault a player into a starting position, then give me all the Daryl Henderson that I can get. Because he's behind Todd Gurley in a great offense. His value has been suppressed. The problem is Daryl Henderson's going to cost you a pretty penny, even though he's not going to touch the field for a while. Daryl Henderson is still going in the first round in some rookie drafts. He's now slipping into the second round, which is where he belongs. He's a second-round pick in Dynasty rookie drafts because he is not a starter. He is behind Todd Gurley. And until somebody shows me the MRI, the visual evidence that Todd Gurley's knee has been compromised in a way that he will now be a lesser player moving forward, until that evidence is provided to me, and I'm not just subjected to this anecdotal nonsense about arthritis, this made-up arthritis narrative that doesn't come from the medical community or Todd Gurley or Rams coaches, then I'm going to wait and see. He had the option of going to get surgery. You can get microfracture surgery. If you're experiencing arthritis in your knee due to lack of cartilage, you can go in and get the microfracture surgery. He could have done that. He didn't. So I'm encouraged by Todd Gurley's offseason because he opted not to get surgery. So you can't draft Daryl Henderson in the late first round any longer now that he's on the Rams. Daryl Henderson did not land in a good spot. You understand that. They took Daryl Henderson in the third round. So that that's big. Taking a running back in the third round is is a big spot to take a running back. So I don't disagree. I'm just telling you, number one, he actually has a better 2018 than Dexter Williams. Dexter Williams is a lot cheaper. By that logic, though, shouldn't Sony Michelle Donacy owners be just as worried? Sony Michelle had knee surgery a lot more recently than Todd Gurley. And Sony Michelle had multiple knee surgeries. He had a knee surgery, then he had a revision surgery. Yeah, but here, hold on. Let's go, let's go back a second. Because what started this whole conversation was you saying, or an injury. And we always talk about how we're not projecting injuries. No, I understand that. I think that Dexter Williams has an opportunity to carve out a role without an injury. Sure. And if Aaron Jones gets injured, he could be the most productive rookie running back in fantasy football, as could Damian Harris if Sonny Michelle gets injured, as could Daryl Henderson if Todd Gurley gets injured. However, those running backs are second-round picks. Dexter Williams is a third or fourth round pick. That's the difference. For sure. The value is there. I think here's the problem when I keep going back to this. I'm not sure that if Aaron Jones doesn't get hurt, if Dexter Williams' production is ever going to be startable. Like if I'm starting a guy that's getting... What? I'm just saying. If I'm starting a guy that's getting me seven points a week... Are, are you kidding me? What do you mean am I kidding you? Aaron Jones goes down. Dexter Williams is an RB1 in fantasy. He will supplant Jamal Williams in training camp he is a better runner and a better receiver than jamal williams right if he's the primary back 
in the Green Bay Packers offense, you're damn right. Dexter Williams with this level of athleticism and historical production will be an RB1 in fantasy football. Book it. What I'm saying is if Aaron Jones doesn't get hurt, he's not startable. You're not starting him. He's not doing anything. You can't start him. So the problem is it's going to take an injury or he's going to have to actually jump Aaron Jones on the depth chart. The odds that Dexter Williams supplants Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams is higher than Damian Harris supplanting Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson supplanting Todd Gurley. I agree. I do agree. I'm not I'm not disagreeing there. And I see the value in Dexter Williams. I'm just saying Daryl Henderson is one of these guys that Dexter Williams is a screaming value in round three. You agree? Yes, I totally agree. Obviously, yeah, because again, in the draft round that they took Aaron Jones in the fifth round is there's there's no allegiance to Aaron Jones at all. But this also reveals a a slight flaw in the Dynasty Dominator app in that the value that we have assigned to draft picks is based on the historical hit rate of each draft slot in rookie drafts. The problem is the Dynasty Leaguers using the Dynasty Dominator app listen to the show. They go to the Dynasty rankings on playerprofiler.com. So they're not making stupid mistakes in rounds one and two, like, I don't know, drafting Ronald Jones. No one in this audience was drafting Ronald Jones. Uh -uh. If you're listening to this show right now, on average, you make better decisions than your league mates in round one, two, three, and four. I believe that our listeners can reap positive value from late round picks. If there's anything that we do well on this show, it's surfacing players like Dexter Williams in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Like This is our job, is to help you win in those later rounds. So when you are evaluating a trade on the Dynasty Dominator, you should have the confidence to boost the value on your side of the deal if you're acquiring 2019 picks. Because members of this audience are better at picking players than the average fantasy gamer. I mean, just look at the players that we've advocated for in the second, third, and fourth rounds recently. Last year, it was Christian Kirk in the second round, Traquan Smith in the third round, Justin Watson in the fourth round. Year before that, it was Chris Godwin in the second round, Kenny Galladay in the third round, Aaron Jones in the fourth round. It's worked out pretty well, hasn't it, Nate? It's worked out pretty damn well if you follow the blueprint. Pretty damn well. So you feel free to boost the value of draft picks that you're acquiring when using the trade analyzer. And when you do go ahead and trade those picks, wait until draft day. The day of the draft is when these picks have maximum value, when they are at their absolute ripest. That's when you deal them away. When a fantasy gamer, like myself, I traded up. I traded up to get Miles Sanders in my first rookie draft. Because he just happened to be there at the 106 slot, and I just couldn't take it anymore. So whoever had that 106 got me at the moment when I was most willing to overpay. So that's the move. Wait until that pick is just perfectly ripe. You're on the clock, and you feel it, and it's soft and squishy. And at that moment, you deal it because that pick is ready to
And at that moment, you deal it because that pick is ready to pop. That's the show. What happened? Oh, nothing. I just... Uh, what happened? I know. I didn't know how you were going to wrap this thing up. I had to try to do it that way. I had to give them something. I had to give them Dexter Williams and some strategy. We can't just play meatloaf, show Melisandre's tits, run over Matt Waldman and walk away. We just can't do that. that that's We have to give them more than that. That seems like a pretty ideal show. Running over Matt Waldman with Meatloaf's motorcycle? You're going to total your bike, that's for sure. A chandelier is going to fall and kill somebody. On every Sonic Truth podcast episode, someone gets killed by a chandelier. Oh, but we need a total FU episode. All we do is talk football every week. My daughter has a new favorite song, and I want to play it for you. But you have to understand, whenever she plays this song or asks me to play it on YouTube because she loves the video... I don't know why, but I always think about you. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, my God. Every time I, I see the video, I'm like, I can't wait to show this video to Nate on the Sonic Truth podcast and get his take on it. Oh, no. Oh, no. So the theme of today's show, unlikely sex symbols. And when I was in middle school, to me, I felt that Annie Lennox was one of the sexiest women in entertainment. Do you even know who that is? I don't even know that name. I'll probably know the face if I see her. I have very eclectic sexual desires and tastes. Oh, what? Now, this was not a video I watched much growing up, but this was a video recommended to me by YouTube because I love the Eurythmics, Here Comes the Rain Again. And then YouTube recommended this video, and I watched it. I showed it to my daughter. She absolutely loved it. Thanks a lot, YouTube. And I realized we have to break this down on the show. The audience needs to know how you feel about this more than anything else. I'm, I'm so confused. I'm ready, though. You have it? You have it queued up? Oh, yeah. What the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> it's like some Baroque period timepiece. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, we're definitely in it. Here we go. What the fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> if this was the greatest showman, I could really accept what's going on right now. So, okay. So much going on right now. Love her. Love Annie Lennox. I don't even know how to comment. I love the artsy, edgy, pseudo-goth look. Love that. She looks like a cracked-out Melisandre, and we've got a bunch of guys dressed as female ballerinas with a lot of armpit hair, but they came out of nowhere. You didn't know that's what you were going to see. They're really good dancers. Look, they're wearing the point shoes. She's sitting on a, uh, on a half moon. There's people that are not moving, sitting at tables. Like, this is a, a performance in a theater, but they're at tables around it. I don't understand this why they're not This is back moving. when artists took great care, time, energy, resources into making their music videos art. This is a film. It's not just a video. I'm going to be honest with you. I can handle the guys dressed up as female ballerinas. It's the guy that didn't shave his goatee. which driving me nuts. This video was shot 
before all the hipsters were wearing beards. This is from the 90s. This is peak 90s right here. The zooming the camera into her right eye, I love that. She has such great feel for, for the aesthetics of a video. She's an artist, man. I love Annie Lennox. This looks, this looks like about 1600s. Back before strip clubs, they called them a cabaret. Yeah. So there, isn't there another term that we're not thinking of right now? A uh, brothel? Yeah. Well, that'd be a, that would be a strip club, though. But yeah, brothel. No, this sucks. There's a rocking horse. Look at this. How much you love this video, Nate? Just tell us. Tell us Tell us your thoughts on this video. How, how would you grade this video on a scale of 1 to 10, Nate? Give it a zero. Oh, here comes the girl with the goatee. Now she's got the fake goatee on. The hype man for the guy with the goatee. We got people in masks. We got a guy in the background who looks like he had a pacifier in his mouth. <laughs> what the hell is going on in this thing? I think I might have a sex dream tonight. I like the thick choker she's wearing. What is it? Love her outfit, love her hairstyle, her whole wardrobe, stylist, everything. A home run for Annie Lennox here. Everyone's dancing and the one guy in the mask is just stationary, staring straight ahead. He's pissed. I love it. That's you. You're the guy in the mask. He's bald, you're bald, and, and he's just not having it. And you're just not having this video. I knew you wouldn't have it. Well, because they told him they were shooting Rhythm of a Dancer here, and then he found out it was this. Parts and parts and stuff. Is this supposed to be somebody recognizable? That looks like you in 20 years. Looks like me in about 10 minutes if I have to watch this video again. <laughs> it's a terrible video. It's terrible. <laughs> I knew it. That was great. So bad. All right, I got one more for you. Redeem yourself, I beg you. I have no desire to redeem myself. I figured as much. That last video, that video just uh, flew by. Real breeze. I was enthralled. Released at the same time, Annie Lennox videos were playing at the same time as Meatloaf. I would do anything for love. Early 90s. Right in that wheelhouse. Taking me way back to my formative years. Let's go. I have traveled across the universe through the years to find her. Sometimes going all the way. I did cut off where I got there. Means going all the way under some shit. I don't know what happened. Look at this. See? Again, this is not a music video. This is a movie. The production quality of the videos in the 90s is unparalleled. That helicopter must have cost them quite a bit of money. Yeah, they commissioned a helicopter. They had to close these roads. Police cars, police motorcycles. Shots during the day, shots at night. They had the fog maker. Ran out a cemetery bounce house. This is good, man. Look at the makeup. This is movie quality hair and makeup. <clears throat> um, movie quality, uh, disgustingly long fingernails as well. Am I in the cinema right now? Because it's how I feel. I feel like I'm at the uh, cheap theater down the road. Like a $2 Tuesday movie. It's hard to find a better visual than the police officer scanning in the darkness with that flashlight. Mag light. Here's, here's the thing. Love that the uh, cop's got a shotgun in the cemetery. <laughs> Whatever he's going to see is already dead. No, the, I think the, the cop shot, he shot the chandelier and the chandelier fell on and killed him. 
you know, there it is again. Guns are just causing too many accidents. Here we go. Here we go. This is right around the time that a young pod father found out that his penis is a multi-use device. <laughs> yeah, a young pod father. Ugh. Boy, this is a terrible video, by the way. I'm sorry. This video does not hold up. I understand that. But you have to understand that for the time, this was cinema quality production value. They lit thousands of candles, Nate. Thousands. There's like 15 candles. You can see her reflection in the wine. It's so grainy. Okay, they didn't have HD. This is before HD, dude. Right. I feel like I'm watching this on Matt Waldman's television. That's like making fun of a movie from the 20s because it's black and white. They didn't have the technology. There was no technicolor, Nate. Sorry. I mean, does he play guitar like this guitar that we're hearing? Is he playing any instruments or is he just a singer? No, I like how they turn that into a, like a big rolling chair. Like the big, uh, oh, roll it back in. He's not there. He's staring at you from a distance. He's hiding. He's embarrassed. He's a monster. He's ashamed of his of how he looks. But the lesson of these outtakes, Nate, is that... The beauty emanates from within. Okay, first off, a hot chick walked in. Emerging from the hot bath. Oh my god. Heard about her seeing you. Maybe you should light less candles. Maybe just one candle next time, like a nightlight. Is that Rob Lowe? Is he a detective? I, it happened so. Everything's happening so fast right now. You realize that the video is what you get really good, right? By the way, yeah. Just, by the way, Meatloaf, not the character he was. Doesn't look that much different. Mask off, same guy. I can't believe that I was allowed to watch this at such a young age. It was just irresponsible. Social services should have taken me away. I mean, it's three women sprawled out in every direction in the bed, tongues everywhere. It is Rob Lowe. It is Rob Lowe! Wasn't Rob Lowe a sex addict at one time? Yeah. He had some problems. I think he did he go to rehab for sex addiction. Yeah, he had a lot of those dreams you were talking about. <laughs> Except they were real. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't have sex with a senator, though, did he? Oh, I'm sure. All of them. He probably could have. I think Rob Lowe could have had sex with anyone he wanted to in the 80s. Rob Lowe was on fire. There's just way too many candles. The house is going to burn down. This is this is a fire hazard. Yeah, if I'm the insurance company, obviously, I'm going to go, Sir, we can't, we can't pay you your insurance for this home. You've got candles everywhere. It's not possible to show more cleavage than she is displaying in this scene. I think if just mathematically, if you ran the numbers, it's impossible to show more cleavage. I think there's a, a single thread string holding that dress together in the center area. It's barely on. That's that's clear. I want to go back in time to the day I saw this video for the first time and high-five my young self. Congratulations, Matt. That's not Rob Lowe. It's not Rob Lowe. It's been determined. It's not Rob Lowe, sadly. Video just dropped a few points for me. Look at the so look at the beam of sunlight through the castle onto Meatloaf's face. By the way, all the nicknames in the world to pick from. You really go Meatloaf? Really? Really? Well, well when you don't care anymore, when you stop caring. He's at the peak of his powers. He's choosing Meatloaf as his nickname. Was it the peak? Is that her singing? There's no way that's her singing, right? 
No, it's... Wouldn't that, would you be offended if you were the if you were the, the female vocalist and they didn't let you appear in the video? They they had the model lip sync your parts. Would you be upset by that? I mean, it depends. You know, I'd be like, are you more beautiful than this girl objectively? It's up to you. You could be in the video. And by the way, did, did we ever find out what it is that he wouldn't do? What he wouldn't do for love? No, he would do everything for love. That was no, but he wouldn't do that. Did you see what was in parentheses in the title of the song? He wouldn't do this one thing. Is there a Reddit thread on what it is that he would not do? Yes, he would not blow out his candles. Not, he wasn't going to use normal normal electricity. He was going to continue to use candles. <laughs> He'll do anything for love except use electricity. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's all candles all the time. <laughs> He's constantly rotating candles so that... The ambient lighting stays on point. I mean, what is the cost, right? How much more expensive is lighting an entire house with 1,900 candles per day? How much more expensive is that than just paying an electric bill? Well, speaking of running the numbers, I think the statistics of your house burning to the ground is exponentially greater when you've got them on these gaudy six-foot stands with 15 candles per there was nothing gaudy about that castle that Meatloaf lived in, and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that in parentheses, Nate. What about that floating daybed? It's a great look. I can't believe there was a threesome in that video. Did he actually join? No, he, he was too shy. He was ashamed of his face. He was a monster. He had the weird textured face with the horns, and, you know, Melisandre went to work on him before the video started. You know we're uh, 55 minutes into the show. We haven't started yet. We're not talking football tonight, Matt. No time for that. Just all videos this time. <laughs> Might as well just hit them with constant videos. They'd probably like it better anyways. I was reminded of the scene when Meatloaf was in that chair and they were on the bed right here. We got to do this clip. Last clip. We're doing three clips? Three clips. You're killing me. It's three minutes. You don't have to edit this one. The, the audience can't see this. Yes. So we have to be their eyes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Not bad. She has the alpha female look. Do you really think you couldn't see Arnold's face here? Filmmakers are allowed certain liberties by the audience. You just look at Game of Thrones. <sighs> never. Never again. You can offend the sensibilities and ask the audience to suspend disbelief to a degree. True Lies took it right up to the edge. True Lies took that suspension of disbelief right up to the edge, and there was a lot of humor. The Tom Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger comic relief element is what put that movie over the top. Shoutouts to Jamie Lee Curtis's trainer. Good lord. She dumped water from a vase to slick her hair back, right? Before the scene started. Oh my god. Yes. Now her hair looks like Michael Douglas. Here's the thing. How would you not have known that wasn't his voice? It's coming out of a three millimeter tape recorder. Okay, question. Did Jamie Lee Curtis get any, like, lessons on how to dance like this or could she do this when they did the scene i think they asked her just to do whatever she felt natural doing because she's playing the role of a housewife you don't want to overtrain for this I, I i think she trained now she's not naked so do you think that jamie lee curtis would ask for a closed set that they would send the grip and the <laughs> assistant cinematographer home for the day while they filmed this with just a couple guys this is where, because I want to see it again, I dip in the shot with the boom mic. And they're like, cut, cut, God, cut. 
Boom mic guy. Boom mic is in the scene. <laughs> Boom mic's in the shot again. All right, let's start the show. This is going to be the most brutal edit of my life. Hey, put yourself in that situation with that uh, with that topic. I don't know what to say. Having sex with a senator? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Like what? I, I was thinking, I was like, what if the government overhears this? Are you allowed to even talk about fantasies of having sex with politicians? Is that even allowed? It's the first time I've ever had pause while talking in front of a microphone. Yeah, free speech. Do what you want to do. You're fine. Poor Cory Booker, man. Speaking of bad, wet dreams... Game of Thrones. What did you find most offensive about the most recent episode? <laughs> oh, God. Where where do you even be? First off. <laughs> oh, God. Where where do you even be? First off. <laughs> oh, God. Where where do you even be? First off. The show became so impossibly stupid. I just want my life back. It's infinity plus all your dead guys. So many hours. They just stand there. They just stand there the entire time. They're supposed to be his bodyguards, and they let this girl just sneak up and jump from the side of the screen and kill him? No way, man. He's got these bodyguards. I just want my life back. That Stannis Baratheon is the second coming of the Lord of Light. And that's the coldest take since Matt Waldman said Hakeem Butler is the best wide receiver he's ever charted. So many hours. I have very eclectic sexual desires and tastes. Oh, what? Oh, what? 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 The longest night. Have you ever tried to cut a cord of wood? I try to cut a cord of wood. I'm gassed after I do like four logs. But you get some Gatorade out there. Thanks a lot, YouTube. This show is so bad, Nate. So bad. Right, I feel like I'm watching this on Matt Waldman's television. The show is so wretched. It's atrocious. It's pretty, pretty terrible. Why not just go watch Rampage or Skyscraper? <laughs> Equally awful. If you want the pyrotechnics of the Dragon Lady flying around, right, doing nothing, you might as well watch The Rock do it. At least The Rock is cool. I mean, what did Jon Snow do? In the most anticipated episode, most anticipated battle in the show. What did Jon Snow do exactly? Jon Snow was kicking it up on a uh, rampart up on the uh, top of the castle for... Uh, he was just uh, running around dodging ice flames. That was after he hung out for 20 minutes and did absolutely nothing to contribute. Yeah, he's useless. Who contributed less, him or Sam? I mean, basically, it, it was only Arya and the Red Woman are the ones that did anything. I mean, Jon Snow may as well have been in the crypt because he did nothing at all. Useless. Absolutely useless. Most of the main characters were bags of dicks in this episode, and they all survived. <laughs> they did nothing and yet survived. That was the most contemptuous part of the whole show up to this point was how every major character that anyone has an emotional attachment to survived the Battle of Winterfell. The re and the sad part is, it's not even that they just survived. Just an absurdity. They survived in the most unbelievable fashion. The suspension of disbelief required, even in the context of a show where supernatural forces and magical powers are in play, was still absurd. 
Even when I grant you supernatural forces and magical powers, it was still absurd. I was given so much shit for that exact quote for telling people that you're asking people to suspend disbelief. And they're like, oh, what? Because... Because there's dragons. That's already a given. The battle between the fire dragon and the ice dragon was anticlimactic at best. Nothing happened. They just spun around in the air. The one dragon we thought was going to go down, we thought that the zombies had him. And at the last minute, he's able to take off with all the zombies hanging on him. That's not possible. The dragons are already an affront to aerodynamics and aerospace. To take off... To get lift with all those zombies hanging off you, it was a, just a, another one of the many bridges too far in that episode. There were so many bridges that went way too far. It, <laughs> it's such a bad episode. I mean, and this is before we even talk about the fact you couldn't see anything because it was so dark. The cinematography was too dark, so you couldn't see anything. So they shot all that great film, and then it was all worthless because it was just all gray and hazy and black yeah i understand it's at night there are plenty of things you can do as a filmmaker to allow the audience to see the fucking action what is wrong with you it's almost like i feel like game of thrones audience were, were being punked like the fans were being punked by the writers and the producers like it, how could it be this bad they had to know it was bad they had to know it was bad somebody knew that it was a was a total piece of shit when they were putting this thing together I mean, it's the most microwaved final season of a show in the history of television. And it's the most overrated show in the history of television because it's viewed right now as the best show ever. So many people think it's the best show ever. Someone just jumped to my mentions and said, no one cares about your snobby opinion of the best show ever. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> it's fair. Here it is. No one cares about your smug negative opinions of the greatest show of all time. Literally, no one cares. And then a person wrote back instantly and said, I care. And I agree, they've been mailing it in for the majority of the seasons. This season has been particularly awful. <laughs> the show was good once upon a time. You do remember when the show was good, right? The show was great. It was great. I mean, I, I love the show. So, Melisandre was a critical character, one of the most pivotal characters in the episode. She was a hero on a level with Arya Stark. Well, she lit the trench and she lit the swords of the of the Dothraki. And remember, the Dothraki are supposed to be these invincible warriors and they're taken out in less than 2 seconds. They're like, "Well, l let's do this. Instead of having to to navigate these incredibly difficult to shoot fight scenes, let's just put a bunch of dots on the screen and then we'll just extinguish the dots." And that'll be dramatic because when you're in a defensive position, the move is always charge right away with your cavalry down the middle. Blindly. Blindly charge with your cavalry from a defensive position. That's military tactics 101. I mean, I feel like Sun Tzu gave that order. If I if I may, in Melisandre's non-defense, for all the good she did in this episode... Melisandre lit the trench and she lit their swords. Oh yeah, good for her. She also fucking melted Stannis' daughter and did no good. Well, right. Well, that's what I was going to say. They decided to make Melisandre one of the great heroes of the episode. And I distinctly recall Melisandre believing that Stannis was the Lord of Light and the one true king. In the history of cold takes, that's right up there with Matt Waldman claiming Hakeem Butler is the greatest wide receiver he's ever charted. <laughs> I, love, I love that you've somehow paralleled Melisandre burning a girl alive. 
Stannis' daughter, as he stood back and watched. And by the way, Davos, he wanted revenge for that twice. And they had no choice in the Longest Night episode but to make her one of the great heroes, Nate. I yeah, hey, good for her. Great comeback story. And those lit swords the Dothraki were wielding, those really worked. They made the editing easier. That was her gift to the editors. That's right. It was super effective, those lit swords, <laughs> with the worst military tactics in the history of fake battles. On every level, the show offended the sensibilities of the viewer. Time and time again, they offended the sensibilities of the viewer, and they've been doing it for many seasons. I've been saying this. It's been a slow burn up to this crescendo of offense in The Longest Night. By the way, did you see Melisandre's tits in that one episode? I don't look at that kind of stuff, Matt. I mean, my God. Matt, every time there's nudity on that show, I avert my eyes. I'm sitting with my wife. I'm a, I'm a godly man, perky as the day is young. Put me on the rack. That's a medieval torture device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the irony is not in this case, Nate. Not in this case. Nope. A rack of pillows in this case. Yeah, that's objectively clear. Honestly, they've wandered so far out into the absurd with this show that she could have just flashed the White Walkers and laser beams were shot out of her tits, and that would have felt just as realistic as what we watched. It's... Now that you said that, I kind of wish that they would have done that. Once they hear this, they're probably going to feel the same way. That would have been quite the addition to the show. Or, as we mentioned earlier, that we could have taken the parallel option, which is Matt Waldman flashes the White Walkers and laser beams shoot out of his tits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. You can see a shirtless Matt Waldman walking around Winterfell. Just pacing. Oh. Uh, right? Waiting for the moment. The tension rising. Uh, We've been so desensitized to the ridiculous in the show that a shirtless Matt Waldman would have seemed totally normal at this point. Is he all greased up at this point? Ready to, ready to fire? Why would he be greased up, Nate? Why did you have to make him greased up? Why is he suddenly wrestling? I just assume that he stays greased up all the time. Always be ready. I don't, I don't assume that at all. I... I definitely do. That helps you grind tape? Yeah, he had a light sweat going. He was waiting for that all 22 from the Toledo. Oh, when you say greased up, okay, so you meant you meant he had like a lather. Yeah, yeah, just. Yeah, he had a lather going. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He was warmed up. It's the heat from that tube TV. It's <laughs> <laughs> keeping him a little hot, a little hot under the collar, sitting too close. You can go online and there are various versions of Melisandre's boobs with creative pasties on the boobs. Let's see this. Look, they're little dragons. Little dragons on the nipples. Waiting for it to come. Oh, up there they are. Why did you say they? Oh, there's both of them. They showed up. <laughs> this is actually, I've got it blown up on a 40-inch television over here. Take that amulet off. Let's get to the next level. Is that your kink? Have you ever had a uh, sex dream? course what is a loaded question i very rarely remember my dreams so it's just a, a rare instance that i have a dream that i remember and then of the dreams that i've had that i remember very few of them have been sex dreams in fact i can only remember one ever before last night i was with kirsten dunce she was at the height of her kirsten dunce powers but i believe i felt like she was attainable that Kirsten Dunst's popularity was driven by the fact that she was the girl next door. That was the look. 
So in this dream, I was her boyfriend, and between movie shoots, we would hang out. And I don't know why I happen to remember that dream, but I did. The mistake I made was telling my wife. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought it was cool. I was like, I had this dream that I was dating Kirsten Dunst, and it was totally normal. She would come to parties with me. She met my parents. It was, it was totally cool. Yes, she was in movies, but it, that was just like her job. We were normal. And my wife was not having any of it. The thought of it disgusted her that I would be with Kirsten Dunst, even in my dreams, not in reality. The fact that I even remembered that dream offended her. And so months would go by. I've forgotten that this dream ever happened. And then at some point, we'll be talking about a woman and I'll say, wow, she is beautiful. That woman is objectively beautiful, isn't she? And then she'll turn to me and say, yeah, but not as hot as Kirsten Dunst, eh? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Where does that, why? How? How is Kirsten Dunst so top of mind? But that just illustrated the mistake I made telling my wife about this dream. It was voluntary. I didn't have to tell her. I should have kept it a secret. Some things need to be kept secret. I never should have told anybody. It should have been my secret. I should have gone to my grave with this secret that I once dreamed that Kirsten Dunst and I were dating and it was totally normal and perfectly fine. Which brings me to this morning. Uh-oh. Two o'clock in the morning, I sit up straight in bed in a moment of realization that I just experienced my second sex dream that I can remember. Now, I'm sure the perverts in this audience will be like, oh, was that Kirsten Dunst's dream a wet dream? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once when I was 15. I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. <laughs> None. Listen. I'm not the one that called me the Howard Stern of fantasy football. So if the audience wants to call me the Howard Stern of fantasy football, we're going to have some Howard Stern-esque segments, or in this case, outtakes. So I sit up straight in my bed, realizing that I just had an incredible sex dream because I dreamt I was making mad, passionate love to Kamala Harris, junior senator from California, Kamala Harris. <laughs> And it was amazing. Under the guise that she plays fantasy football and wanted to meet me in a Washington, D.C. hotel room to go over her fantasy team and her draft strategy, I unwittingly ended up in her hotel room and then very willfully ended up very naked with her in the bed. And I shot up. I, I should, sorry, bad word choice. I, I sat up in bed. Let's get correction. Having realized, oh wow, that was that was amazing imaginary sex with one of the most unlikely characters. If I gave you a thousand guesses, you wouldn't have guessed Kamala Harris. No chance. It was featured in the sex dream. And I was thinking, why why her? Because we know why Kirsten Dunst. In a period of time, she was the signature attainable looking actress in Hollywood. Very straightforward. Why Kamala Harris? Why, why, why? And then it finally occurred to me in the shower easy that's, that seems like a go on we'll see where this goes <laughs> see where this transitions my hypothesis is this that i'm attracted to alpha females and no one is more alpha than kamala harris that i wanted to be intimate with senate judiciary committee member kamala harris who always owns every room she walks into including the Senate Judiciary Committee, 
where she acts as the alpha surrounded by old white people and Cory Booker. Yeah, here's okay. Where she is the alpha senator in the midst of the most well-respected old white people in the Senate and Cory Booker. I think that's what I wanted. I think that I wanted that. I wanted to be naked with that confident alpha woman. It, you know, your kink might be the elderly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. I, I didn't even know this. I mean, this is me going Freudian. We're going into the subconscious. We're, we're analyzing dreams now on the Sonic Truth podcast. I desire the strong alpha female character. That's my conclusion. Um, I can't say that during any of my uh, sex dreams, as you refer to them, uh, I don't think I've ever had anybody of this... Uh... Gravitas? I think at one point she had a gavel. Easy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had a gavel in my ass at the end, Nate. Okay, well, is... Uh, you know, maybe she was thinking of you. Maybe she listens to the show. I don't know. Can you imagine? <laughs> wow. Imagine that email. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine her yelling at me. I had the same dream about you, the podfather, last night. That's what I'm saying. Our standard boner sound would not do that one justice. You're going to need the uh, gavel bang. How about a gavel bang into a boner? And I think that might do it. There you go. <laughs> might. It's the raw power that she brings to the table. And so many times you think, oh, men objectify women. They only care about looks. What does she look like? What does she look like? What about personality, man? Personality. What about the women with the great personality? Well, in this case, I, I think that was the impetus of the attraction, the strong personality. She's not not attractive. I mean, obviously. It's it's uh, an understandable attraction. If it's the power, and maybe that's your thing. It's all right. I like the old version of Melisandre. <laughs> meat falling off the bone. Oh, come on, man. Why are you going to do that? Never forget that Melisandre was riding Stannis. Like, that's the horse that she chose to ride. The coldest take in the history of Game of Thrones. The the fact that you turn that into the Matt Waldman thing will forever <laughs> have a place in history. So incredible. What a power move. We need to find the, the, the fantasy football parallel to Kamala Harris. Just a boss. She is a boss. A boss. I just, I didn't know that I wanted to be dominated by such a strong personality before. I never knew that. It took a very vivid, memorable dream to show me who I am, to unearth this about my personality. I'm surprised that you're still having these sorts of dreams. They're uh, few and far between for me. What do you mean? I just, you know, I can't even make time for sex dreams anymore, Matt. No, it, it took me by surprise. It's been over 10 years since the infamous Kirsten Dunst dream. But it feels like it was just yesterday based on how often my wife reminds me of it. <laughs> well, you should have you should have changed it. You should have downgraded harder than Kirsten Dunst. That's the problem. I never thought twice about talking about this dream with her because it was Kirsten Dunst. If it were Scarlett Johansson, I would have thought twice. Yeah. The whole reason I felt comfortable talking about it was that it was Kirsten Dunst. I mean, but maybe you haven't thought about the fact that what offended her is that you pick somebody that is so obtainable. Like, if she was okay with it, you'd be like, well, she didn't really push back. And I do have her email. Maybe that's the concern in her mind. If you had picked somebody, she's like, yeah, you got no shot, no chance. Maybe she's not bugged. But who's to say? You bump into Kirsten Dunst when she's in line getting coffee, 
spark up a conversation? Yeah. What are the odds she says no? I picked the TJ Yeldon of actresses. I, Yeldon might even be a little higher tier than I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's actually giving her some credit. He was very attainable for the Buffalo Bills. Yes. Yes. We need to bring all of this back to football. Melisandre, Matt Waldman, Kirsten Dunst, TJ Yeldon. But with Kamala Harris, I mean, maybe Philip Rivers. He's pretty confident. Yeah. Yeah. It's... He walks around that stadium like a boss. I mean, it's not any good ones out there right now. Not like Des Bryant before he went bananas. Yes, I like that. He went a little nuts, though. He went a little nuts at the end. Peak Des Bryant might be the best comp we have for Kamala Harris. Not a lot of good ones. I bet he was really good at sex then, too. Oh, Des Bryant? Yeah, not as good as Michael Thomas, but good. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> He has a lot to live up to if he wants to maintain that Kamala Harris comp. Woo! A lot of go routes. Woo! No comebacks. Nope. Always running the nine route. <laughs> double moves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> double moves. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh. She's one of the most well-respected people in society. And I'm sharing the sex dream. I feel bad. But I share everything that happens to me on this show. And I thought that was noteworthy. We also have a reputation. We're happy to delve into the erotica aspects of society and culture on this show. Think about how we open the show. Yeah. You, uh, you continue to put that in the intro. You need to know that that's coming. Again, bad word choice from me. Yeah, that is. You're not paying attention. I have very eclectic sexual desires and tastes. Oh, what? This is right around the time that a young pod father found out that his penis is a multi-use device. <laughs> yeah, a young pod father. Ugh. He'll do anything for love except use electricity. Mask off, same guy. So many were emotionally invested in Theon Greyjoy. Is he getting his penis back? I think they just took his balls, Nate. No, I think they cut the whole thing off. No, I think they cut the whole thing off. No, I think they cut the whole thing off. Remember then, What's-His-Face was eating a sausage in the next clip. Oh, that's right. He took the whole thing. Really? How does he pee? I don't have his ass. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it goes auxiliary at that point. I got a great question. I don't know. I'm sure there's still a hole. You heard Christian Bale just uh, Oh yeah. leveling some set deck guy. Somebody knew that it was a was a total piece of shit. The audience can't see this. Yes, so we have to be their eyes. No one cares about your snobby opinion of the best show ever. I mean, that's fair. I am a man, so don't give me too much credit. He's a man with a penis. Still working on using it. I have to watch the fucking show to know how bad it is and appreciate how right I was. I'm a godly man. Female ballerina with a lot of armpit hair. We get to see Melisandre's incredible rack. Can I do a Tim the Toolman Taylor? <laughs> oh my God, it's farted. Oh God. I heard it. Come on like a yoga ball. That's why you heard that fart. And if you are not suffering these episodes, then you've had a television lobotomy. <laughs> Let's see this. Look, they're little dragons. Little dragons on the nipples. Waiting for it to come. Oh. Check out Twitter. These morons love it. Uh, this episode started with you saying lasers shot out of Matt Waldman's tits. I mean, it's only up from here, right? I mean, 
a bag of Theon Greyjoy penises. Neither one of them did a goddamn thing. I'm a female ballerina with a lot of armpit hair. I mean, it's exceeding all of my expectations. No, <laughs> this sucks. Was that Kirsten Dunst dream a wet dream? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once. Redeem yourself, I beg you. Zero sum lame. Wow, I don't even know what to say. It would be cool to see her naked, it would be. Meat falling off the bone. This fucking show has no boundaries. We can get Gilly? Which one's Gilly? Come on, don't do this. Don't do this. Are you going to try to jump into football right now? Uh-oh. Matt Waldman. <laughs> I don't know why I find that name so funny now. Waiting for it to come. Oh. Where she acts as the alpha, surrounded by old white people and Cory Booker. I'm a female ballerina with a lot of armpit hair. If I propose a deal and you don't like that deal, just counter! Unless they offer me something where I'm crushing them in the trading alliance, then I'll accept. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty damn well. Redeem yourself, I beg you. Because he just happened to be there at the 106 slot, and I just couldn't take it anymore! Waiting for it to come. Oh! Running over Matt Waldman with Meatloaf's motorcycle? That seems like a pretty ideal show.